Hey, wonderful people. Welcome to the fourth episode of the second season of Lantern. We're a podcast about young people trying to change the world and trying to understand what that actually means. Again, we're experimenting with a few different release times to see what works best for you. So apologies for the inconsistent release schedule, but we'll be sure to let you know once we've settled on a release time that gets the most traction. So please bear with us till that. So this fortnight, we're sitting down with the amazing Rona Glynn McDonald. She's the founder and CEO of Common Ground, which is an online space that shares Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures, histories, and lived experiences. This is such an important conversation to be having in a movement to get behind, particularly in Australia, but also elsewhere in understanding, embracing, and celebrating our Indigenous cultures. So really do hope you enjoy this conversation. My name is Rona Glynn McDonald. I'm a proud Kadich woman from Central Australia. I don't know, I'd call myself probably a, a wantrepreneur or a wannabe social change maker right now. I yeah. feel like I'm at such an early stage in my career development that I'm still finding my feet in, in what I'm doing. Mm. Um, but I, one of my more formal roles is the CEO of Common Ground which is an online space that shares Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures, histories and lived experiences. I am passionate about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and how important they are to our Australian identity and transferring knowledge about culture and history to all Australians. Where did the idea for Common Ground stem from? I was uh, really lucky to grow up out in Central Australia, close to culture, surrounded by rich Aboriginal people from all different groups with all different languages and all different cultures. And it wasn't until I moved to Melbourne four years ago to study at Melbourne University that I recognised how little so many people knew about culture and history. And I'd sit down and have a yarn with non-Indigenous Australians and we'd just be having dinner and quite often people would put the spotlight on me and ask, you know, what's, you know, this thing that happened, I can't understand why blackfellas do this or I want to understand why kinship's so important or I want to understand why we do a welcome to country or an acknowledgement of country, why is that important? And I'd share my knowledge with people but it quickly became apparent that there was this yearning for knowledge but people didn't have anywhere to go. There wasn't places to learn about culture and history from our first peoples online or if it existed, it didn't all exist in one place in a way that was easily digestible for audiences that just want to quickly dive into something in a safe space rather than having to do, you know, a whole degree at uni or having to move to a place where they will have more of an interaction with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. So that's where the idea for Common Ground was born. And it came about particularly at a time where we started to talk about constitutional recognition in Australia and why it's so important. And I started to ask myself, how can we expect Australians to vote in a referendum for something that is so important if they don't understand why it's so important? And I think there was this need to build a base around the foundations of who Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are within our country and the importance of our cultures and our histories in our national identity. So... That's where it all started and I've been working on it for two years and Common Ground was launched two months ago and has had some pretty great traction so far, which I'm pretty proud of. Awesome. awesome. Do you want to just explain exactly what Common Ground does? 
Yeah, so it's an online space. It's a website combined with social media channels that shares culture and history um, through videos and online articles and content to allow any person to access educational knowledge um, and do it in their own way. So it's a, a space where you can just jump online and search through a whole lot of curated videos and we also have original videos and original articles and curated articles. So it's like a place where you can go to begin to build an understanding around who Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are in this country yeah. and elements of culture that exist across Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures everywhere. So why did you decide to start your own organisation or own platform rather than, say, joining forces with something that was already going on or resources that were already out there? Yeah, I think there was a lot of stuff that existed quite sporadically across the internet, yeah. but I hadn't seen an organisation bring it all together in progressive digital kind of format. Yeah. Like there was yeah. some really old school um, <laughs> kind of Wikipedia-like yeah. things kicking around yeah, and... Like yeah, 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 <laughs> super basic <laughs> HTML, not really um, up there in terms of like easily accessible mm -hmm. um, for a modern audience. Mm. A lot of the content online was quite politicised right. and I thought it was really important to provide knowledge and education in a way that was open from all peoples, from all walks of politics and all walks of life, mm. to be able to learn in the kind of space where, you know, it doesn't say all Australians are racist or it doesn't kind of push people away in that sense. So it's bringing people on the journey rather than pushing them away from it. So Common Ground, in the way I've created it, is a safe space that we don't try and vilify groups in Australia for, you know, past wrongdoings. It's just an open kind of book in terms of history yeah. um, and culture. And is that something you kind of shape through the language you're using or how do you go about doing that? Absolutely. Um, I have been the curator of a lot of the content and the creator of a lot of content, but I have a pretty great team of volunteers who are really great at making sure that the, the messages that we're sending out through Common Ground is consistent in terms of that neutral ground. Mm. Basically, whatever I write will be highly edited by fair, fair. Other, other people that might... I have a couple of non-Indigenous people mm. who are who grew up in you know urban areas right. in in Melbourne and Sydney who bring the other side of it you know I'm so close to it I'm so passionate about it I'm like we need to change this we need yeah. to change it now we need to get all this knowledge out there and I have these people to come I have these people come in who are able to say well that might not be easily digestible for okay. the audience that you're going for because the audience is mostly non-indigenous Australia mm and my lived experience could potentially cloud that a bit. Mm. Um, so to create for the audience that I, I need to create for, I make sure that there's people around me who are of that audience. I noticed that you spent, I guess, two years planning, is that right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> what, so what were you doing in that time? And like, how did you, I think, especially coming out of uni, I guess a question for, that uni students often have is like, how did you support yourself? Did you feel pressured to kind of follow a more traditional path out of uni? I mean, not many people kind of have the, the guts to like go out and pursue their own thing um, straight out of uni. Yeah, I went into uni wanting to be a management consultant or... 
<laughs> I went down the straight path of you know economics and finance, yeah, and yeah. I enjoyed it, but I got bored of it pretty quickly. And I was really lucky during uni to have um, a, a job outside of uni working at the Central Land Council okay. in Alice Springs, which is a statutory body that represents Aboriginal people throughout the, the Central Australian region of the Northern Territory. So all of my uni ranks was, were spent there. Right. And I was working in the policy team and I was very close to government submissions and responding to government policies that affect Aboriginal people in the Northern Territory. And it just inspired me to, to recognise that I could work in this space and I could be so fulfilled by creating change for my people and Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people all across Australia. It was hard to leave uni and not get a grad job. All my friends went straight into grad roles and I think there was a lot of pressure to do that. Yeah. But I just recognised that as a young person, I have less responsibilities than I will 10 or 20 years down the mm. track. I don't have kids. Mm. I don't have a mortgage. Mm. This is the time where you can take huge risks mm. and I think they do pay off. And I thought, well if I don't get this up off the ground or if I don't find something that is going to um, get traction really quickly, mm. I'll get the grad job later or I'll get the full-time job later. There's time to have a full-time mm. job, but um, taking risks is something that I'm really well positioned to do as a mm. you know, crazy young person. <laughs> <laughs> and I think there's a lot of inspiration out there for young people like me right now. I was really lucky to jump straight into the Young Social Pioneers program that the Foundation for Young Australians runs. Um, and I did that in my last semester of uni. And doing that program really instilled in me this sense of, I can do this. They mm. invested in me as an individual rather than in my idea. And just surrounding myself with incredible young other, other social entrepreneurs mm. who were doing awesome things, completely different things to me, but mm. I found so much inspiration from that and jumped out into the world and did it. And Funding it in a challenge, I've just been living off my savings <laughs> and um, doing small consulting gigs here and there to try and make it work. But I think the reward you get from that um, is so much higher than the, the financial reward of jumping into a full-time role. Mm. So You mentioned the Young Social Pioneers. and It seems like you, you had a kind of ecosystem around you to support you. What would you say to a, a young person who has an idea but is finding it difficult to like break into that network or ecosystem. Because I've heard from some people, they see things like FYA and they just seem just so far out in the distance, like they're struggling to kind of break in. Do you have any advice for someone in that position? Yeah, I think particularly when you're at your ideation stage and you're really early on in a project, the more people you can talk to and get in front of and share your idea with, the more connections you'll build. Mm. So finding yeah, people from all walks of life who will sit down and have a coffee with you and chat about your, your initiative or project. I also don't always need to be surrounded by, with, by just social entrepreneurs. Okay. I often am back in Alice Springs. Um, I spend half my time in Alice and the, the startup, startup ecosystem is pretty much non-existent. Right. <laughs> <And> <laughs> there's not much social entrepreneurship going on. Like There's a lot of... Um, not-for-profits that operate in the right. space and there's a lot of people working in the social sector but in terms of young people doing 
new innovative things. Mm. It's not really much of a, a vibe in Alice Springs for it. Okay. Um, but I find that I, I get such inspiration from online figures, people that I've never met, um, podcasts, podcasts that share people's stories, such as this podcast. <laughs> um, so I don't, I, I don't think you always need the physical proximity to other people, but you can find inspiration from all walks of life. So it sounds like you're someone who's like incredibly kind of strong-willed, driven. What do you do in those moments where you've kind of hit a kind of roadblock, hit a barrier, not feeling too great about what you've been doing or how the project's going? How do you kind of bounce back from that? You're so right. I am pretty strong-willed. <laughs> Ever since I was really young, I did what, whatever the hell I wanted. Yeah. Like, I think I've, in terms of my family, I've chosen quite an unconventional path, even though they're quite unconventional. They're all filmmakers right. they're either unemployed or they're filmmakers which is like <laughs> filmmaking I think I saw a lot of that resilience from my parents and my family and the projects that they've done um, yeah. constantly pitching constantly trying to get things up off the ground battling with uh, creative blocks or not being completely satisfied with your work and I think being exposed to that from a really young age meant that I built a resilience within me mm. to push and push and push things forward regardless of the things that get in your way, mm. but everyone's human and no one is on this, you know, peak trajectory where they're just <laughs> so stoked all the time and they're really happy and everything's working. Like, that's just not reality. Mm. I think when I have a roadblock, I often will just take a step back. Mm. And if it's, I'm pushing for something and something's in my way, it's okay to just step back and take some time out. It's okay to just, you know, spend a few days doing something else, mm. you know? Like... Mm this kind of pressure that you need to always push through roadblocks. I think in the kind of startup ecosystem and within um, this kind of innovative space, there are martyrs who we look at in the industry who are able to, you know, sleep in their office and <laughs> sleep in a car or, like, just continue relentlessly regardless. It's okay not to do that. Like, you don't have to push and push and push and put your whole life on the line all the time. Mm although you may see some success mm. in doing that, I think it's all about enjoying the whole ride and all aspects of it. Um, so sometimes when there's a roadblock or something that like gets in my way, I think that, um, yeah, it's just great to take time out and recognise that that's part of the journey mm. and also enjoy that too. <laughs> <laughs> so true. I wanted to touch on with, I guess, dealing with issues around you know, culture, I think, and identity and race. Often, I think people can feel burdened by the work that they're doing, that they're representing <clears throat> a very large community and they're kind of feeling responsible to like pushing that forward. Do you feel that? And like, how do you kind of oh, grapple with that? Oh, 100% feel that. I battle that within my own identity. I'm, you know, a fair-skinned, blue-eyed, Kadic woman and... I don't feel the burden of racism that my mob do. Like, mm. I can walk through two worlds, no worries. Mm. And I think sometimes it's challenging, particularly when I go into, like, meetings or a context where I'm representing myself as a Kadich woman and people mm. are like, well, if you're Aboriginal, why are you so white? Mm. Um, so that's a challenge. <laughs> that's a challenge that I battle with constantly and I always will. Yeah. Particularly... As a Kadich woman, I can't represent all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Mm. I don't know them. I know my mob and I know what life's like for many Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, but trying to reflect the diversity of 
these incredible cultures and this in, intensely rich history is a real challenge and that's something that I'm trying to work through on Common Ground. So the content we have at the moment is doesn't fully reflect that diversity yet and it's something that we need to work towards and it's like my key priority going forward is having online resources that reflect how diverse Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are. So what's your kind of thinking or strategy around that? Because it sounds like an enormous task, to be honest. It's huge, it's huge. Um, I want Common Ground to support intergenerational transfers of knowledge within communities. Yeah. So there's a lot of culture that is secreted and sacred mm. for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and it's unlikely to be shared with the rest of Australia. But that knowledge and that culture is so important for the next generation to ensure that we are strong people and we have a strong affinity with our identity and this, these amazing ancient cultures that have existed for over 60,000 years. So I want Common Ground to be able to transfer those knowledges between our generations but also transfer knowledge outside of our community to the rest of Australia. So I have this grand idea to build an open source framework through innovative digital technologies to allow any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander family group or community group or language group to record unique cultural elements mm. in a digital means and that knowledge is kept within community for the right people who are given the right permissions. Mm. But then there's an, a feature in which communities that want to share knowledge publicly can then share that knowledge on the Common Ground platform. So there's this two kind of pronged approach where we're strengthening culture within communities, but we're also strengthening the knowledge of culture for the rest of Australia and allowing non-Indigenous Australians to also get a, a glimpse of the unique and diverse cultures that exist all across Australia. I was wondering, how do you kind of foster that connection with culture that seems with particularly First Australian culture being so connected to the land, doing that in a kind of digital medium? Through Common Ground, I hope that people can build a, a foundational understanding of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, but then be excited and move to then go out into their own community and find a local Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander person to sit down and have a yarn with because there's Aboriginal people and Torres Strait Islander people all across Australia mm. and common grounds about bringing people into the space where they feel comfortable to mm. um, then go out and learn more from people mm. on the ground. But I also think that film and storytelling is an incredible medium for mm. building a shared understanding or helping people um, change their perspectives or build some connection and definitely always sitting down and having a yarn with people is the best outcome and when I was in Melbourne talking to these people that was obviously the best way that they could learn but through the internet we can reach more people. So true. So with that like if someone's listening and wants to have a yarn with Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander how do they go about doing that? I if they don't know someone. Yeah yeah community. yeah if they don't know someone in their community all across Australia there's land councils and native title bodies and representative groups and I think Contacting those groups or finding local Aboriginal organisations is a, a great way to start. Mm. Um, if they don't have a volunteer program, um, just asking them where is somewhere they could go to learn more or to have a yarn with someone. I think volunteering with local Aboriginal organisations is a great way to connect with people and get a, a build proper relationships and 
properly learn from someone. Um, mm. in, it's not a tokenistic kind of mm. meeting. It's like I'm actually yeah. coming here to add value right. and learn from you and listen and give some of my time yeah. um, in, in, in that journey. So it is quite difficult when Aboriginal people across the country don't fit the stereotype that a lot of people think mm. they should. So yeah. I, have, I had someone say to me on radio, um, oh, but, you know, there aren't many Aboriginal people in Melbourne. I'm like, God, mate, <laughs> there are, we're everywhere. <laughs> you, just, yeah. you just have this preconceived notion of what we look like. Mm. Um, go to a march, go to one of the amazing protests that are often held outside mm. the State Library and down Swanson Street and you'll see black fellas everywhere. Mm. Um, yeah, I think there's a, a challenge in breaking down that stereotype so people recognise that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are all around us. Mm. What about, what's the kind of idea around people who don't see this as important in terms of learning about First Australian culture and history? What's, is that something that Common Ground's trying to address as well or is that a different problem entirely? And either way, like how do you solve that? Is that something that should be solved? Absolutely, should be solved and through common ground, I hope, that people can change their perspectives about how important Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures are for mm. our country and how rich they are and how much value they can add mm. to our nation because we're missing out, like non-Indigenous Australians are missing out in not having this connection with this incredible ancient history. Mm. Um, I made a conscious decision when starting Common Ground that I'm not gonna reach everyone. Like, mm. it's pretty unfeasible. <laughs> and some people will just remain to racist bigots and that's right. just the way of the world and the way of society mm. as it exists today. But my hope is that our campaigns, digital campaigns through social media will spark some interest for some of those people to learn a little bit more. Mm. Um, I think, as I said, video and storytelling is an amazing medium and we have a few campaigns that we're working on right now that hopefully through Instagram and Facebook will reach some of those people. Mm. I think when people... People have a preconceived idea of, you know, mm. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, as I said, but <laughs> when you get a glimpse of who we are as people in, in a closer proximity, mm. I think people's minds can be changed. I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's huge, right? Yeah. It's really big. Um, and I grapple with that, how large it is. And I mm. want to see change straight away. I, just, I can't understand how people can be racist. So I just don't get it. I guess it's, it, it comes from a place of just not having that connection and not mm. understanding and having people tell you how to think or mm. people give you an idea about what someone else is like from a very, very early age. Um, but I think humans have the capacity to change. How do you think if, because I think a lot of this comes from just your kind of environment that you're surrounded in. If you're someone who's grown up with those preconceptions because of say, you know, what your family said or what you've read in the media, and if you're, getting these messages like day in, day out. It can be very hard to kind of strike alone on that path. How do you think people, if, if, if they want to challenge these preconceptions, but they're surrounded in an environment which is pushing them completely to the other side, what can they do about that? 
That's a big question. I think people need to have courage. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, I think particularly um, if you're giving voice to the voiceless, that's an amazing thing that you're doing. So recognise that when you're standing up for someone and saying, hey, that's not okay, the way that you've just you know, racially vilified someone or you've said something that's inappropriate, um, remember that the power of, of that moment and you standing up and challenging something, I think recognising that and naming that is a really good place to start. It is hard to stand up, mm. particularly if you're a minority um, or you're a minority view up against you know, a, a group of people who don't share the same view. Um, yeah, just recognising how important it is to, to, to name it and just say, like, look, that's not okay. Mm. It is hard. It's a real challenge. <laughs> and I definitely, when I'm young, uh, I was younger, I, I didn't always stand up against mm. people, racist people or people that were saying inappropriate things or, um, you know, doing something that I didn't agree with or was out of mm. line. I, it took a, growing up a lot and having more confidence in myself um, and backing myself to be able to, you know, stand up and have those frank conversations. You had the opportunity to pitch Common Ground at Parliament House. How did that come about and like, what was that experience like? What did you learn from it? Yeah, that was dope. Um, I was really lucky to be awarded um, the, a trailblazer for the ABC last year. Oh, actually it was this year technically. Um, so through that, we spent a week in Canberra mm. And I didn't know what was going to happen when we rocked up in Canberra. I knew there were other trailblazers from coming, who were coming from around Australia. And we met in Canberra and on day one they were like, okay, so you're going to pitch in two days at Parliament House. And I was like, oh, sweet. Thanks, thanks for the heads up. Yeah. <laughs> I was really lucky to have actually had practice pitching in the past. So it wasn't too much of, I wasn't too much of a nervous wreck, but it was a huge experience for me. And it was pretty phenomenal to be able to step up in the Great Hall in Parliament House and pitched to 350 mm. MPs and government officials and get the ear of people who otherwise would never have the opportunity to hear about Common Ground. Mm. From that, Common Ground has sparked the interests of quite a few government departments and cool. made itself into the intranet of, of a couple of departments, which is oh, pretty nice. cool. Okay. So it's had some really great exposure yeah. through that. How did you approach those those conversations with politicians? Like, what was your takeaways that you wanted from that conversation? It's hard because politicians are all schmoozers. They, <laughs> they all, in person, are so happy to yeah, yeah. talk to you and be excited about what you're doing. And sometimes I think it's genuine and sometimes I'm not sure. Mm. So trying to have a real conversation <laughs> with someone in Parliament House is really hard because yeah. they're used to shaking hands, meeting and greeting and um, giving everyone a positive response. Mm. So trying to shape a conversation that was more meaningful is quite hard, but I think those first interactions can lead to more conversations in the future. So after a first interaction, um, I hope that I'll be able to then be able to have more conversations with them that yeah. potentially get to a, a deeper level the politicians that were there only had a short moment to mm. have a chat with me. So trying to really nut something out or go deeper is really mm. quite difficult. Mm, sure. So it's more like a long game. It's a long game. And I think it is for any network you make. Any relationship you build in any industry, it's always... Yeah, what role do you see government playing in addressing this knowledge gap that Common Ground's trying to um, address? And personally, I don't know... I, well, I tried to dig around um, to see if... 
uh, first Australian kind of culture and history is on, say, like the national school curriculum. But from my research, I just found things about how to like handle those conversations in the classroom. So I'm not sure if it is. If it is, is that solving the problem? If it's not, is that a way to solve the problem? Yeah, so the national school curriculum is quite interesting. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and history has elements where it can be chosen to be taught throughout the national curriculum, as in it's given as an option, as is learning about other cultures. Um, So it's not mandatory to be taught, but teachers can teach it if they choose to. So, <laughs> not ideal. It's, it's, it's a bit of bullshit, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the main issue I see is that many teachers are non-Indigenous so they don't feel comfortable mm. teaching about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples or histories. Um, and I think there's a lot of work to be done in bridging that, that gap. Mm. And there's some fantastic organisations doing awesome things. There's a platform called Narragunawali, which is... Um, funded by Reconciliation Australia and BHP Billiton, quite interesting, Um, (laughs) that uh, provides online resources and training for teachers to then be able to teach Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and histories or anything about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in the classroom. And it's a great platform and I think they've reached up to 15,000 teachers already through... Narragun Wally, which is really cool. Mm. Um, but if it's never going to be mandatory in the curriculum, then um, we won't see much change, I don't mm. think. I think it's so important. I think that's the next step in terms of education is ensuring that every young person in Australia has a meaningful education around Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples. And it's not a week camp and it's not one subject they do throughout their whole entire schooling it mm. comes in throughout the curriculum at multiple intersections yeah from kindergarten to year 12. So if someone's kind of inspired into action and, and wants to do something to move the needle on this issue what's your advice for I think really someone from a non-Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander background to be a strong ally in this cause because I feel sometimes particularly when we talk about kind of racial issues, people feel a bit of like imposter syndrome. Or, I, w- I want to like advocate for this, but do I belong here? Do I have uh, a place in this conversation? Educating yourself on how to be a good ally is a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a great book called Decolonising Solidarity by Claire Land that looks at exactly that, how to be an ally, how to, how to be a, f- a friend to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and make space in the conversation rather than taking up space. To step back and allow voiceless people to share their views and their lived experiences rather than taking the baton and running with it. Really taking time to understand that how to be a good ally is really important and also recognising that you have an incredible network of non-Indigenous Australians. Mm. So if you're a a person who is non-Indigenous, you know so many non-Indigenous people and you can be a voice to the voiceless. You can share common ground with all the people you know or you can learn about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples and share that knowledge that you've learnt to Mm. the rest of your network. And that network effect is so powerful. Mm. So I think recognising that is uh, really important. We were wondering, is there 
what were the kind of biggest lessons or takeaways from that journey? And if you were to go back and do it differently, was there anything you would change? Relationships and collaborations are so important mm. and building those relationships early is important. As I said, relationships are a long game, mm. particularly when you're thinking about funders or people you want to partner with. But I was scared to pitch when I didn't have a product. Right. Pitching when it's just an idea <laughs> and you can't show someone anything is scary and yeah. I think I refrained from that. But I, if I was to do it again or in my next ventures, I'll push myself earlier to pitch when you're very early stage and be vulnerable in that it's totally chill um because once you've started building those relationships you can turn them into action faster Mm. I've always been you know searching for knowledge in terms of entrepreneurship education and we always talk about the importance of building an MVP or a minimum Mm. viable product and I knew that and I knew how important it was but I was so bad at following it, like (laughs) so bad. I think the first, um, yeah, I I wanted to learn how to code so I could build my own website because I didn't think that Squarespace or any of those platforms was good enough. So that was a six-month journey, which I probably could have cut a bit shorter. Right, right. Um, And then the first website was super buggy. I had to rebuild it. Um, I rebuilt it again. This is all still like pre-launch phase. I right. built the website for a second time, then realized that when I have other contributors, editing HTML code is not an ideal mm. way to push out more content. <laughs> <laughs> so then I rebuilt it again in a format that meant I had a content management system. So there was okay. three builds before I even had all of the online content to, together or yeah. I'd even launched. And that's not an MVP. So mm. I think I could have cut <laughs> <laughs> I could have cut a year off the process just by actually sticking to what I knew was important. But I f- also feel like the byproduct is, of that is that common ground in its launch was quite a substantial resource. Okay. And because of that, it's had a lot of traction in the first couple of months. Mm. Um, maybe if it was a bit more stripped back, it mightn't have had such interest because people would have been like, oh, it's just an MVP and there's not much going on. Um, Yeah, so I think sticking to building something fast and iterating Mm. is important rather than, you know, trying to build a car and then breaking it apart and trying to build a car again and breaking Mm. it apart and trying to build a car. They say, like, go from a skateboard to a scooter to a bike to, like, a motorbike to a car. I was, like, building the car and then dismantling (laughs) it. Is there anything else you would like to add and any kind of books or films that you'd recommend for young people who are making impact or want to make a difference? Films are amazing for taking you outside of your current world and putting your shoes into someone else's life. If people are wanting to learn more about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, I think films like Samson and Delilah and Sweet Country are amazing Australian films that give you a perspective of the lived experience for many people today, but also the um, the frontier during mm. early days of colonisation um, in rural Australia from Sweet Country. They're two things that are really great for knowledge building. If you want to support Common Ground, how can they how can they do that? I talked about the network effect before, and for us at the moment reaching as many people as possible is our goal. So it'd be great if someone 
who has the capacity to to share it within the networks, that's really helpful for us at this stage. And just learn as much as you can from the website with an open heart and an open mind. Um, we also have a donations function and donations are really helpful for us in such an early stage in terms of keeping the momentum going and starting to scale up. And you're on social media as well, right? Yes. We're at Common Ground Oz and commonground.org.au. Thanks so much for this conversation. It was incredible. Awesome.